Let's take a moment and ask God to be with us. God, you are already with us. May we be with you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be aligned with you this morning. And all other things fall away. Amen. So this morning we're continuing in our series of a major or minor prophets major message. Um, just as a reminder, minor doesn't mean that is a less than message. It is the length of the book. That's just to remind us, and it's not that a, the uh, uh, author is less than as well. So these, uh, the message of the miners seems to be a major doom. They are, they are majoring on doom until we see the bigger message of our loving God is calling us back to holy and hopeful living aligned with his good purposes. In the book of Amos, that hopefulness doesn't come until the very last five verses, and I'm going to tell you it's still not great. Total destruction so that there can be new things. Not really very hopeful, but this is Amos. And this is what he was called by God to say. So um, today, in Amos, we see God's call on our lives to let justice roll down and for us to worship the one true God. Now, a little background on Amos. He is the first of the uh, classical or writing prophets. Okay, there were other prophets, but these were, um, he was the first one that was writing things down. God's kingdom was divided at this time between the northern and the southern kingdom at this point in history. And it's likely to be about 767, between 767-50 BC at this, at this time. We know this because in the first book, or first verse of Amos, it says two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and and Jeroboam, son of Jeshua, was king of Israel. We have to go back to the second book of Kings to actually figure this all out. So if you go into the second book of Kings, you read about these two kings. Second Kings 15, 1 and 2. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam the second of Israel, Uzziah, or, oh, Azariah. So, so they, see how these are the same king, Uzziah and Uzziah, okay? So just so you don't get confused. So now we have to look at 2 Kings 14.23 to see in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Josiah, King of Judah, Jeroboam the second. This is Jeroboam the second. So there's a first Jeroboam, which we're going to talk about him later too. It's super confusing, I know. And I was going to do this timeline thing, and you look up the timelines, and there's all this crazy, and it wouldn't help. So anyway, this is how we know this, the time frame, because of these two kings were um, reigning at the time of Amos. Now, Talking about the minor prophet today, Amos, led us to, in staff meeting, to decide that we needed famous Amos cookies. We are very deep in our staff meetings, but we thought, you know, we do nice things on Mother's Day, like give all of the women flowers. 
why not give all the men some cookies? So at the end, at the end, all the men get some famous Amos cookies. As you can see, you probably are wondering, why in the world are there famous Amos cookies up here? But then it got me curious about the famous Amos. And so I started to do a little research about famous Amos. And he's actually the first African-American talent agent in the history of William Morris's agency. Now here's the real news. He signed Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, so that's how he's really famous. Um, But he decided in 1975, because he liked baking, that he was going to open up a famous Amos store and sell cookies. So he took his, his aunt's recipe and sold famous Amos cookies. And in the 90s, he sold it to Keebler for probably a ridiculous amount of money. But we're talking about our Amos, the prophet, who is not so famous. Famous, unfamous Amos is not like the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a 38-year professional prophet, as Pastor Scott told us a couple weeks ago. And so that's why it was amazing that he was asked to marry an unfaithful woman. I mean, that would, should rock our minds, right? That God would ask him to do that. But Amos is not that famous. He, was, he hasn't been in the gig that long. Amos is only mentioned in the book of Amos. So that's the only context we have are those nine chapters of the book of Amos. He's a not-so-famous Amos because of this information that is given right in chapter and verse 1. Amos is a shepherd, okay? He is one Of the shepherds. So it wasn't even like he was the shepherd, he was one of the shepherds. And um, in in Amos 7 14, it says, It took, the Lord took me from tending the flock. And so in the Hebrew language, tending the flock actually meant cattle. So he was probably like a, a, a cattle driver of sorts in this shepherding that he did. But he had a pretty normal job for that day and age. It, it was not a, a, a highfalutin Simon and Garfunkel level of fame. And then we find out he's a farmer of sycamore fig trees. And um, one of the commentaries I read said that sycamore fig trees are actually sold to the poor because they're not really that delicious. They're kind of bitter. And so that would make him not as famous because he was serving the poor. But that piece about him not being a prophet by vocation is also in Amos 7.14. Amos answered, I was neither a prophet nor even a son of a prophet. So in biblical times, oftentimes you did what your dad did. Amos did not have a dad who was a prophet. So he's basically saying in this passage of scripture, I don't know anything about prophecy. I know nothing. I'm just called. That's all I know. God called me and I'm, I'm going. So not-so-famous Amos was sent to people. And the reason he was sent is because the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo when the, that, the, the lion roars. It's a little bit terrifying, and I'm very thankful that they're behind bars when that happens. But Amos was feeling that roar. Amos 3.7, the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to the servants of his of the prophets. So when, when, when God roared uh, in Amos uh, 3.8, the lion roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who 
can but prophesy. He had to. Amos was compelled at that moment. When that roar happened, Amos was like, I don't really have a choice. I am sure that if I had a lion roar in my face, I would be like, whatever you need, right? Hopefully it's not me as a snack, but but probably would be. Amos was compelled. He knew God had called him. He didn't see any other option like our friend Jonah, who we'll hear about in a couple weeks. Jonah was like, I'm going to just go the other way on this one. But Pastor Scott will tell you about Jonah. This passage actually led me to another passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 30. Hear this for yourselves for a moment. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble from birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom for God, and this is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. God loves to head to the margins to call his people. If you feel like you're counted out, guess what? You're counted in. That's what he was saying to Amos, not so famous Amos. It proves that God wants to build his kingdom on what he values, not on what the world values. He makes nobodies into somebodies so that his name can be glorified. Amos represents this as he's a shepherd and a farmer. Amos 7.15, But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. God takes that man standing in the field doing a regular old job and sends him to a group of people who are far afield of what God wants. Amos was a shepherd and a farmer, but he was asked to be a prophet. God divinely intervened in his life, just like a few other people we know in Scripture. Moses, not born of nobility, but God made him a great leader. King David, the youngest and the smallest, and God made him the greatest king. God does not base our calling based on where we were born or even what we look like. God called us all to be famous in some way for him, not for ourselves. Okay, so Amos was born in the the southern kingdom, Tokia, so you can, can you see that there? It's right underneath Jerusalem. And God sent him to the northern kingdom to prophesy. So that little dotted line right above Jerusalem is heading into the northern kingdom. Now, it might have been because he had business to do because he was a cattle guy or he was selling some figs, but maybe not. It may have been based on he was kind of close right there to go right across the border. Whatever it was, he was going because God wanted him to to uh, preach and teach the truth to a group of people that had gotten way out of line. 
These people were basing their whole lives on wealth. They were a wealthy nation at this point. And with wealth comes power, right? We know this. And with wealth and power, sometimes, for whatever reason, it leads to the ability to be a little corrupt. And that's what was happening. These people were taking advantage of the underprivileged so that they could further their own lives. And Amos was sent to warn the wealthy and say, you better get it right or else God's going to destroy you. In chapters 1 and 2, God names each nation specifically on what they have done, all because of they are furthering their wealth and doing it against other people. The people of Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Israel, and even Judah, you have sinned repeatedly. It's expressed in that phrase that is said over and over and over again in Amos, the phrase, three sins, even four. God sent Amos to call the people out of their sins. They had brutalized people, sold people into slavery. They had broken treaties. They had killed people's friends and family. They had attacked pregnant women to extend their own land. And they had even burned the remains of a king, refusing to obey God's decrees, and they were generally leading people astray. And God was about to set things straight. Amos 3.15 says this, I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Amos was called to go tell these people that they had broken their covenant with God. Now, as I was thinking about this, this broken covenant this week and the commitments that these people had made, I was remembering 10 years ago today, I stood right in front of this altar, and that guy over there on Father's Day proposed to me right there. Now, a lot of you are new and don't remember this, and some of you have been here a while, and are like, I remember that. It was a hard day for the church. We, we had just, a, a senior pastor was taking a leave of absence, and so it was a day of great rejoicing at the same time we were dealing with a lot of hard things here at our church. So this week I decided I'm going to look at these vows. It's been a little while. Yikes, right? Ten years. I should really look this up. And as I, as I read through them, I was more moved this week probably than the day that I made the commitment because it's been ten years of living into it. It looked good that day. These people, when they made their commitment, probably didn't look so hot. They had been wandering around in the desert. But this day, when Amos was coming to them, they looked good. They thought they had it all together. They were wealthy. But they were breaking the Ten Commandments left and right, and it wasn't even, they weren't even thinking about it. And Amos was called in to set things right. Amos felt a burden for these people. Now, some people, when they see rich people, they're like, no burden, they're jerks, and we walk away, right? Now, some people actually have a burden 
for the people who are wealthy. And Amos was one of these people. And actually, Amos's name means burden or load. That's what his name means. He knew he needed to go tell these people. God had asked him to go tell these people. He knew it was his job because God had told him. They were worshiping false idols at this point. Now, a faithful Israelite, they would journey from wherever they were to Jerusalem. And so here's the problem. So uh, is, is there a, the map? The next one. Okay, so here's the problem. So we have Jerusalem. Does anybody realize which northern or southern kingdom is Jerusalem in? Can you see it up there? Southern. Um, Where was Amos called to go um, set things straight? North. So, okay, so we got this. So let's look at 1 Kings for a moment. Now, this is Jeroboam the the first, the first Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, right after they had divided the kingdom. It it says in 1 Kings, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. Okay, wait a minute. I didn't say this. People would journey to Jerusalem from wherever they were. So if they're in the northern kingdom, where do they have to go? Okay, okay, all right. If these people go up and offer sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord, to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me. So, so Jeroboam's worried about getting killed over this. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. He's like being nice to these wealthy people. It's too much for you to travel all the way there. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One of them is set up in Bethel, and the other is in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went up as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Now, Levites were set apart to um, holy living so that they could work in um, the temple. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judea. Boy, oh boy, this guy is like coming up with like exact parallels. So, oh, you don't need to go all the way there. You don't, let's do the same festival. We'll just do it to these golden calves. It'll be totally fine. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves he, he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival and the, for the Israelites, and they went up to the altar and made offerings. Yikes. But this is way back. Remember, we're actually now at Jeroboam II is king right now. So now this has been happening for way too long that they're worshiping other gods. Bethel is right across the border, so it's likely that could have been part of why he called Amos, who's right down there at, at Tekoa. They did not have it right at Bethel. 
And Amos had to go in there and let them know. Since the kingdoms had been recently split, King Jeroboam was doing it his own way, right? Here's what's scary about that. Because he was king and wanted to have the power, the inappropriate power, he created these two other places of worship. Not because he didn't love God. Probably didn't. But it was really based on his own trying to keep what he wanted for himself. Improper power caused the whole northern kingdom to worship false gods. And with the worship of false gods came more and more improper power. The northern kingdom was exploiting the poor to gain more worth, more wealth instead of bringing justice to the poor. And they were worshiping false golden calves. Amos was called by name and asked, was asked to tell them what they were doing wrong. He was asked to point them into the right direction, to speak the true name of God. Throughout the book of Amos, he uses the name Lord, Lord, Lord. But then he gets to the place in chapter 5 where he uses a stronger term. He uses the Lord God Almighty. When someone is almighty, it means they are all-powerful, but it also means that he is omnipotent. He's everywhere. Religious devotion was not the problem for these people in the northern kingdom. It was actually how they were worshiping and the ways that they were doing it was inappropriate. Amos 5.21 says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. They were performing surface religion. They had lost their true deep love for the true one, the one true God. God was done listening to their fake and false praise. God was calling them higher through Amos. God wanted more. God wanted true dedication. He wanted to be shown the way of a, in a genuine act. Amos then spoke and wrote these words on God's behalf. Verse 24. But let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. God was was saying, instead of false worship, I want justice. Instead of idolizing worship, I want you to do better with your lives. God wanted them to treat the poor with dignity instead of using them as pawns in their life to further their power and their wealth. Now, something I didn't tell you about famous Amos, the cookie guy, is that he actually used his wealth to be an advocate for literacy. Hmm. It's just what we did this week over at Barbecue and Books. And I watched some very famous teachers offer some power 
and wealth to some kids that don't have books in their, as many books as most of the kids in Naperville in their own homes. Famous Amos took his wealth and spread it out. Not so famous Amos is calling us to do the same. We need to take our fame and our wealth and advocate for the poor. At Barbecues and Books, I also watched the, the very famous principal hand off his power of the megaphone to someone else to lead the group, one of the parents. At the end of the summer, we're going to do some more. We're going to gather up all our extra, all our extra wealth, and we're going to put it in that back room. And then we're going to bring it out, and we're going to sell it. And we're going to give our wealth some to this advocacy that we're doing at Scott School, some to the DR Congo, and some to make sure that all of our kids here within the walls get to experience camp. We are doing justice in this church through bridge communities, through these other connections. God longs for us to get it right. And so oftentimes the prophets, they get images. So God's like, here's an image. And they're like, okay, what in the world does that mean? Or thank you, I get what that means. I need to take it on. And so the first two images in chapter 7 are actually the ones that Margaret read about, the locusts and the fire. And, and Amos said, no, 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 it's too much for them. It's too much for them. And so God pulled those off. And then the next image came, and it's a, it's a plumb line. Now, the first time I ever experienced a plumb line, I was on a mission trip in Haiti. I had never experienced a plumb line before. I was 20 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, obviously. Um, but this is a plumb line. And you hold it to know if something's straight or not, okay? So uh, Amos was given this image so that the people of the northern kingdom would know if they were straight with God or not. Now, it's just an image, of course. In um, Bob Hurst's house, he always makes sure everything's plumb when we do our buildings, right, Robbie? Yes, yes. And so I had no problem standing on it last week when we were, we were out there. I was like, this is secure. It's not going to go over. But we have to be thinking about it at the beginning. That's why it was such a problem that when uh, Jeroboam I set these calves out there, they were not plumb with what God was doing and what, how God wanted them to worship the one true God. can also check good posture with this. I won't hold that up. But another image that came to mind for me this week was actually the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's on a little bit of an angle. And as I read about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, I found out that it happened during construction. This was actually designed to go up straight. Can you imagine these guys feeling like such failures as, it, you know, they're building and it's going, it's going kind of cockeyed? We have to get our lives plumb from the foundation. King Jeroboam I messed it up for the whole northern kingdom. God called Amos to call these people out of comfort, out of comfort, and into the life of justice. God was judging these people for abusing their privilege and showing Amos this through this plumb line. 
Amos was called to set them straight. It was not really well received. So uh, in uh, verse uh, 7-12, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to your land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Ooh, Amos did not back down, and this is what he said. I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of the sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. The next image is a bowl of fruit that Amos is given. Amos is telling them, God is telling them, you are ripe for destruction. Ripe for destruction. And the scary thing, and I brought this up at the beginning, Amos 9, 11 through 15 talks about how he will restore the ruins. Something has to go down to be a ruin. And rebuild These days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one tending grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now you might be wondering at this point why I haven't brought up anything that's hit the news this week. We're talking about justice. Why hasn't she brought it up? You know why? Because this is about your heart. Are you aligned? Are you plumb with Jesus? No matter where you stand, I don't want you to even think about where you stand politically. I want you to think about where you stand with the one true God. Are you aligning your life with him? And out of that, let your justice flow down like a mighty river. Let's pray. Lord God, let our hearts get plumb with you right now. May we align ourselves with you. May we move away from our own agenda or even someone else's agenda and align our hearts fully with you. Lord God, we ask that you would help us know what justice means as we align with you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.